And now it's our joy and privilege, as we do each Sunday when we gather, to turn to the Word of God and hear the voice of God speak to us in His Word. I announced earlier in the service, I know some of you came in a few minutes after that, so I want to take just a moment to share again with you briefly that we will be starting up a regular prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, every other Wednesday for the foreseeable future at uh, 6 p.m. We invite you to come and participate. We'll have one uh, this coming Wednesday night at 6, um, every second and fourth Wednesday A number of you have asked about having a regular prayer meeting as a church, and the Spirit of God has been impressing similar thoughts upon me for some time. So this is our response to that burden that many of us have felt. John Wesley, the man credited with founding the Methodist Church, once said, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. Maybe that's hyperbole. I would say probably that is hyperbole but his point is that prayer is massively important in many ways it is the heartbeat of the christian life we should be a praying people right so this morning i'm going to talk a little bit about prayer it's been a while since we've um, discussed this topic together explicitly and we're going to turn to the letter of james james was the brother of jesus And the leader of the Jerusalem church, sometimes called James the Just. In this little letter, James is going to call Christians to live out their faith. This is the burden of this book. James focuses heavily on our life, on um, outward fruit, on the works of the Christian life. And if you're familiar with the letter, you will know that James wants, again, to focus on Christian conduct. His words are often like a punch in the gut. If you've ever spent any time in this little book, James does not mince words. He's forceful and often blunt. And in our passage today, he's going to be just that with with us. He's going to challenge us in our prayer life. And I think this is perhaps just the medicine we need as we begin thinking about a regular prayer meeting uh, together as a church. So. I'm going to invite Megan forwards now to read out of James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Morning. All right, let's read. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Did I get it? Yep, we're at three. Sorry. <laughs> the whole section is great. Yeah. All right, sorry. Ignore what I just said. The grass wither and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, we've gotten in the habit of having some long readings, so the, the short reading was uh, quite the curveball there. <laughs> well, if you've ever bought a new appliance or a tech device, you know that it comes often with an instruction booklet, and that booklet will have a section somewhere inside it called troubleshooting. Troubleshooting is a way of tracing or correcting 
false. Maybe we installed it wrong. Maybe it's not plugged in. Maybe there's something we're forgetting, a part's loose or something. If your appliance or device is not working properly, then it's usually one of a select few problems, usually. Those few problems are the thing maybe causing causing it to malfunction. So you can flip to that section and see if one of those typical problems is what is causing the issue. No matter how smart or advanced we get, this thought hit me the other day, no matter how smart or advanced we get, our inventions will always require troubleshooting. They will always be flawed and will always break from time to time, won't they? We're having a problem uh, recently with one of our devices at our home, so we called the company to get help uh, with some troubleshooting. And one of the first things they suggested was that I turn the device off and then back on. I'm like, is this what you get paid to do? Just turn it off and on, right? Reboot the system, they said. And it's surprising how often such a simple approach works. Just give it a reboot. And this is often one of the first pieces of advice you'll receive in that troubleshooting section. Well, today, in our passage before us, we're going to troubleshoot our prayer lives. And the basic advice that James is going to give us is reboot the system. As I've shared earlier, I've been feeling a burden to spend more time in prayer and to call the church together for prayer. But I don't want to just do something for the sake of doing it. We're wasting our time if we just get together and offer up empty words to God. Before we begin an effort like this, I think it's good to check our motives. Another way of saying it might be to give the system a good reboot to be reminded once again about the purpose of such an effort. And James is going to help us do that this morning. So here's the big thought that I want to try and get across today. If one thing and one thing only sticks with you, may it be this. Because prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, we must use it as such if it is not to malfunction. What do I mean by this? That seems like a mouthful. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. If we don't use it that way, then it's not going to go right. What do I mean? Well, John Piper uses this analogy for prayer in his excellent book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And he writes this, quote, Life is war. That's not all it is. But it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless 
provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus, prayer safeguards the supremacy of God and missions while linking us with endless grace for every need. End quote. <clears throat> that was a mouthful, but basically what he's saying is that this is a battlefield and prayer's purpose, primary purpose, is to call down resources so that we can win the effort, so we can advance the kingdom. It's not to holler in the other room so we can get another beer, right? It's for the purpose of advancement of the kingdom of God. And I want to ask when you pray, do you pray this way? Or are you praying as are you praying as one who's at war, as a soldier in the trenches, in the heat of battle? Or is your posture in prayer more like the person sitting in front of the TV with their feet kicked up and you're just hollering to the other person in the other room to grab you a beer? I need this now. I want this now. Can you bring it here? These are very different postures and approaches to prayer. What are some of the differences we might see between the sort of things that a soldier in the heat of battle in the trenches might ask for versus the person sitting in the recliner watching the Celtics. Very different things that they might ask for, right? James is going to help us look inside and think more deeply about how we pray. So that's what I want to challenge us with as we think about having a regular prayer meeting as a church. And the first point that I think we'll see roll out of our passage this morning is this. James is going to show us that prayer is a place where, first and foremost, we do battle against our own sins and passions within us. Look at verse 1 with me. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In this point, we might say that James is, could be troubleshooting our motives as we live our lives and in prayer. Sometimes prayer malfunctions because our motives for the things we're asking are all wrong, right? One of the first things we're going to see is that prayer is a place where we must deal with our own issues and not merely complain about other people's issues, right? Not that that's wrong. We should approach God with the things that we're concerned about in other people's lives, right? But we must also not neglect our own struggles. Let me tell you, folks, your greatest enemy is not that guy down the street whose dog is always going number two on your lawn, right? Your greatest enemy is not Joseph Biden, or Donald Trump, or the CCP. Your greatest enemy is not Al-Qaeda, or World War III, or your mother-in-law, or your ex. Your greatest enemy is not even Satan himself. None of these things can do anything to your soul. None of those things can send your soul to hell. Your first and greatest enemy is your own sin. 
Your sin is what separates you from a holy God. It separates you from true, abundant life and from everything that is good. Sin is the big problem, the big enemy, the reason for all the destruction all around us. What do I mean by sin? We use this word a lot, and I want to acknowledge that perhaps it's not understood by everyone, and that's okay. But what do I mean by sin? Sin is when we break God's law. Not man's law, God's law. Some of us think that if it's legal, it's okay. No, there are a million things that are legal under man's law that are wrong in God's eyes. But all of us, rest assured, even if we've kept all the laws of men, all of us have broken God's perfect law. In our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds, things we've done, things we've left undone that we should have done. No one here is exempt from that. We've all sinned. And because of our sins, we're separated from our Maker, from our Creator. And to add insult to injury, our sins are not just little things that we do here or there. They're part of our very nature. This is what we do by default. Any of you who've raised children know this. Children don't come out begging their mom and dad to do right. Teach me how to serve everybody, mom, dad. No. (laughs) The total opposite, right? And we have to teach them those things. We have to instruct them in the good. From the earliest days, we, are, we sin because it's who we are. We are sinners by nature. Well, how do we break free from the struggle? Well, we can't. We can't break free. We're slaves. We're shackled. You and I cannot defeat our, our sin on our own. We need help from the only one who did conquer sin. Jesus Christ. Jesus died on a Roman cross. It's the symbol of our faith. And he took the punishment that you and I deserved for our sins so that you and I could have access to God and no longer be separated from him because of our sins. For everyone who believes in Jesus, the blood of Jesus washes their sins away and they can come unstained and clean into his presence, into the presence of God with Jesus to receive grace and mercy in our time of need that's the good news you see even though followers of jesus are forgiven and if that's something that you haven't done or you'd like to talk about please see me after the service i would love to speak with you more about what it means to to be forgiven to have relationship with jesus but even though followers of jesus Many of us here are forgiven and and have their sins washed clean. For now, we still live in a broken world. And for now, we still struggle with sin, do we not? Yes. One day, we will be made perfect and completely pure as he is. But until that day, we will be at war with our sin. So just because we've accepted Jesus and been forgiven doesn't mean the war is over now i mean the war ultimately is over but there are still these daily battles and struggles with sin and as long as we are in these battles we will need resources to win those battles and guess what even though jesus died he didn't remain dead right we're celebrating this and remembering this during resurrection season 
He rose on the third day. And right now, he is in heaven serving as our great high priest before the throne of Almighty God. Praying for us. Receiving our prayers and bringing them before the Father. He lives to make intercession for us, as it says in Hebrews 7. He is there with his walkie-talkie. Okay, He's there right now with his walkie-talkie, ready for you to call in the resources you need to fight your sin and to conquer your sins day to day. If we are to have any measure of victory over our sins, we must go to the one in prayer who is able to help us. We must confess our sins and ask for grace and help in the struggle against them. So that's point number one. Okay, Prayer is a walkie-talkie to call in resources to help us defeat our own sin, right? And to put it down. That's point number one. Point number two. Prayer is also a place where we learn to trust God for what we truly need. Prayer is a place where we learn to trust God for what we truly need. Look at with me at the first two sentences in verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. In this point, we might say that God is troubleshooting our faith when it comes to prayer. Perhaps we're not praying much or we don't feel like God's hearing us, perhaps, in prayer. Maybe our faith is weak and instead we're taking matters even into our own hands. We don't believe that God will give us what we want or need. So we're going to go after it ourselves. Maybe we've just neglected prayer altogether. I'm going to go get what I need myself. God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that before? I'm going to go help myself, right? Kind of mentality. This is precisely what we see in James's audience. They were angry. They were coveting. And instead of talking to God about it, they took matters into their own hands. One set of sins gave birth to another set of sins. Coveting led to murder. Fighting and quarreling. Why? Well, when we covet something, what we're doing is saying, I must have that thing. I want that thing so badly. It's no longer merely a desire for something. When we covet, it, it becomes essentially a demand. I've got to have this. Have you ever felt that way about something? If we're honest, probably we have some of that in our hearts right now, don't we? We have some demands that we want, need to have. We see this in children a lot. You pass through a store. Any of you again who have young ones or maybe watched young ones for a time, you pass through a store with them and they see something and immediately just grabs hold of their hearts and they must have it. Right? Instead of requesting and, and asking and trusting that mom and dad have their best interest in mind and having a conversation about it, perhaps often a child will turn to throwing a tantrum or making a scene to try and get the thing they want. I've left my grocery cart in its place in the middle of the aisle and went out to the car numerous times 
with my little ones, if you get what I'm saying. And I'm sure I did that to my mom, so no offense, kids. (laughs) I've done that to my mom. This is precisely what the believers that James writes to were doing. It appears almost as if in many cases they were not even seeking God about the things they wanted. At the end of verse 2, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. So they're not even asking at this point. They're just taking it, going after it. They're bypassing God altogether, it appears, in some cases. Now, what if these believers would have gone to God in prayer and just looked in and, and said, God, do I really need this? Must I have this thing? Why do I want this so bad, God? Whatever the thing is, fill in the blank. Maybe just in your mind, fill in the thing you, mu- you feel like you have to have. Do I really need this, God? Must I have it? What if they would have done that? What if we would do that? What if they and we would go to God and talk to him about the things we want? You see, prayer has a way of changing our perspective, does it not? Because in prayer, we're acknowledging God and we're inviting him into our struggle. Often what happens when we do this is we begin to see that a large part of the struggle is within us. Something inside of us, right? The believers that James is writing to would have paused to seek the Lord in prayer, to be reminded of all the good things that they have in Christ. Perhaps they would have seen that at the end of the day, we really already have all we need in Jesus. He is sufficient. When one goes to the Father, one must go through the Son And when we present our requests to the Father, we present them to God in the name of the one who bled for us, the one who gave his life for us. And we're reminded that if God gave us Jesus, then we can know deep down he cares for us and cares about all the things we stand in need of, even if he doesn't give them to us in the way we desire, when we desire them. Scripture says that God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What more could the Father do to show His love? He cares for you and me, and He loves you and me. So we know God has shown us His love, and prayer has a way of reminding us of these things, does it not? When we go to the Father in the name of the one who bled for us. It also has a way of reminding us that not only does God care, but God knows what we need. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught in Matthew 6, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So going to God in prayer is not so much going to inform him of what we're feeling or what we need, nor does it mean that we're somehow supposed to try and make God care about the things that we need or care about. One writer suggests that prayer is the place where we go to God to care about the things he already cares about with him. Often I think the Lord is just waiting upon us to come and care about those things with him. I already care about that. I know about that. Come talk to me about it. I've been waiting. As we look at the struggles and problems with God. 
our perspective is often changed, is it not? We stand by God and look with him towards those people, those problems, those burdens. We stand there with Jesus and look with his eyes at the things we are facing. And our perspective is changed. And though certainly we cannot understand fully what is going on, we can learn in this way to trust our loving and all-knowing God, can't we? Prayer is a place where we exercise the muscles of faith. And as we exercise those muscles, we're changed. And this leads us to our next point for this morning. So that point was about prayer being a place where we grow in faith and where we learn to trust God in faith. Now, point number three, prayer is a place where our desires are changed. Our desires are changed. As our faith grows and as we're stretched in prayer and look at our struggles with God, our desires often are changed. The things we want and are even asking for begin to change, do they not? Look at the end of verse 2 and then into verse 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Sorry, again, really raspy. Here in this point, we might say that God is troubleshooting our desires. We've seen that he troubleshoots our motives. He troubleshoots our our, our lack of faith or our weak faith. And here, perhaps we might say that God is troubleshooting our desires. James is helping us think through our desires in prayer. Sometimes our prayers malfunction and do not go answered or we feel like they're hitting the brass ceiling, so to speak, because we're praying for things that will harm us or harm other believers, things that are actually rooted in sin, things that are contrary to God's will or his glory. Remember what we established in point number one just a moment ago, that it's your sin that is your greatest enemy. And if you don't go to God for help to deal with your sins, then you can't even begin to fight in this battle, right? Because you're actually not even in the battle at that point. If you're full of sin and full of wrong desires, you're sort of fighting on the wrong team at that point. Fighting against the will of God. Fighting against His purpose. So one of the things that God is going to do for us in prayer is change our desires. Our passions is the word that is used. The word for passions here in verse 3 is the same one mentioned in verse 1. It's the Greek word hedone where we get our word hedonism from. Who knows what hedonism is? Anybody hear that word? Maybe have a sense of what it is anyway? Maybe just a few. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure or sensual self-indulgence, okay? So it's like it's all about me getting what I want, my desires, my pleasures. Now, not all pleasure is wrong. God made pleasure. God has pleasure. So he made us in his image, makes us have the capacity to delight in things and have pleasure. Pleasure is not all bad. God delights. God is happy. God is full of life and is all satisfied. And again, we reflect that in how he made us. However, what James is speaking of here is a self-centered pleasure seeking. where We make what we want and our desires central. And I want you to pause and think about this. How much time do you spend, and I'm 
look, this is all coming at me too, right? I'm thinking about these things also, so I'm with you in this, okay? So let's together honestly think about how much time we spend in prayer pondering the things we're praying for or why we're inclined to pray X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, or why we're feeling so strongly about something. Are you praying? I want to challenge you to think about this more for your own comfort and ease and peace of mind than you are for the advance of the kingdom. All right, what are the sort of things you're burdened with and for when you go to God in prayer? Maybe our prayers are more like the guy sitting on the recliner, right? Watching the Celtics and hollering in the other room for a beer. God, I'm really tired of this situation. Will you just put an end to it? Instead of trying to ponder what it is that God is doing. Maybe he's advancing the kingdom some way. And we need to join him instead of praying against. I've noticed that after... I'm putting the Voice of the Martyrs prayer booklets back there. Only one or two have walked off. And maybe that's because I gave the sort of caveat, don't take it unless you're going to use it. Well, it's kind of discouraged if I must, not, if I must say that no, only one or two walked off, guys. Come on. Come on, let's pray, right? Let's have a burden for the gospel to go forth into all the nations. Maybe some of you have your own gods. Okay, I'll give you that. You're looking at me like, I've got my own God already at home. Pastor, I don't need another God. Okay, all right, praise God. But do we feel a burden to pray for the gospel to go forth into all the nations? Are we spending more time praying for health and for wealth and for our own security than we are for the lost and for the church to be made a beautiful, spotless bride before God? That we would be a pure church, that we would really walk in God's ways. I want to suggest that maybe that some of our prayers are a worldly pleasure-seeking kind of praying that is not really pursuing what is right and good. There's a kind of pleasure that's found in God and in His purposes that is higher and better and more lasting than the fleeting pleasures of this world. Amen? Amen. And God is jealous that we have that pleasure, that delight in Him. And it's often in prayer where we learn these things and that our passions are turned off of self and, and our desires and wants and onto what the Lord is doing, what the Lord desires and wants for us. Jesus once said in Matthew 7, ponder this with me, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, well, give him a snake. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Right? His point is well taken. The point of Jesus' words is to say God knows how to give good gifts. And in fact, God is so good with gift giving, he's able to give us gifts we don't even know we want or need. Things we're not even praying for oftentimes or that we're not seeing. It takes us years sometimes to see what God is doing. And he's actually giving us maybe the thing we asked for in the way we didn't see it. In a way that was better for us and more for his glory. 
He sees the desire beneath the desire. Sometimes we're asking for a promotion or a raise, and then we lose our job, only to later find another one. Or God was working something that wasn't even in our view. God had a better gift in mind, right? How often our God is doing this over time in prayer. Not only is our faith stretched, but our desires even are changed. Prayer becomes not so much about getting the things we want, but about communing with God and about doing the work he's given us to do. And this comes with seeing prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie. Not as just hollering in the other room to get something to make us more comfortable, right? Got to change how we view prayer. I long for our church to be a praying church. But there's no benefit in prayer if we're not heeding James' words. So I give you a few tools here. I want you to take some time to troubleshoot your prayer life. I'm doing that in my own heart and in my own home. Let's take time to troubleshoot our prayer life. And I hope these Wednesday night prayer meetings will be a blessing to our church that we'll be a part, we'll be soldiers in the trenches advancing the kingdom, not just asking for another beer, right? Our first one's going to be this Wednesday night right here at 6 p.m. I invite you, please come. Please come and pray. And I pray these principles will help you and help us as we seek the Lord in prayer together. And let's do that now. Let's pray now together as we conclude the sermon. Lord, we confess we are so often consumed with very myopic. We're, we're focused on what we want, we desire. And we bring that into our prayers without even trying to maybe understand what you're doing. We are creatures who so quick to just want what is easy. And you have different agendas. Lord, I pray, give us a good reboot with our prayer life. Would we see ourselves as soldiers in battle? You are our commander-in-chief, and you are holding a walkie-talkie. And we can talk to you and work through our struggles and our hurts and our pains so that, not so we can just be more comfortable, but so that we can continue in the good fight, the fight of faith. We can be useful on the battlefield of the kingdom of God. Lord, let us be changed. Help us, O oh God, we pray. Teach us to pray as you did your first disciples. We love you and we thank you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.